0: If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. The message is from Acts chapter 26. It is Paul's defense, the fifth defense of six, and this one is before King Agrippa. If you have your Bible, we're turning to Acts chapter... 25, where I'm going to begin at verse 13 to give some context. So, Acts 25, verse 13. A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, there is a man who Here, whom Felix left as a prisoner, when I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. I told them that it's not the Roman custom to hand over anyone before they have faced their accusers and have had an opportunity to defend themselves against the charges. When they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convened the court the next day, and ordered the man to be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus, who Paul claimed was alive. I was at a loss how to investigate such matters, so I asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. But when Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear this man myself. He replied, tomorrow you will hear him. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death But because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send a prisoner on to Rome without specifying the charges against him. Permission to speak for yourself. We're going to see his defense in a moment, but let us begin with prayer. Father, we thank you that even in the midst of these trials that Paul went through, he stood strong and he stood firmly in his faith in Jesus Christ, risen Savior and Lord. Thank you. Let me uh, direct you to a verse you may have heard of in today's message is entitled, What is the reason for the hope inside of you? What is the reason for the hope inside of you? And the verse I want to direct you to is 1 Peter 3.15. It says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You know, someone sees you staying calm in a crisis, and they wonder how you can be that calm. Someone sees you having peace in a stressful situation, and they wonder how you can have that peace. Someone sees you, and you are missing your loved one, grieving but not without hope, and they want to know more about this hope in heaven, that you have people will come to you and they'll ask you why are you different why is there something about you that i want in my life they're going to ask you to give a reason for the hope that's inside of you and i pray that you will be prepared because it says in this verse first peter 3 15 that we are always to be prepared that is that we must have the right attitude toward Christ, revering him in our hearts, that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Lord of all. And we must be prepared, ready at a moment's notice, have an answer on the tip of our tongue, have an explanation for why we have hope in seemingly hopeless situations, to share who is the source and supplier of our hope and to do so in a gentle and respectful manner, as you're going to see Paul does when he says, Oh, most excellent Festus. Even when Festus tries to throw a monkey wrench in his presentation. Paul was not arrogant at all. He wasn't flippant or silly. He was not making fun or demeaning his audience. He was gentle and respectful. So let's look at at the four reasons why Paul had hope. What is the reason for hope? And these are the reasons for hope that we have as Christians. I have hope, number one, because I trust in the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. Number two, I have hope because I am a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away, the new has come. Third, I have hope because I serve a risen Savior. He lives, he lives. And number four, I have hope because I have a true and reasonable faith. We're going to see these four main points in Paul's defense before King Agrippa. First of all, I trust in the promised Messiah. I have hope because I trust in the promised Messiah. King Agrippa in Acts 26, verse 1 says, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul made this dramatic motion with his arm and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they're willing, that I have conformed to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it's because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because any of you consider it incredible that God... Raises the dead. Do you see the words hope and promise in Acts 26, verses 6 to 8? Both of them are mentioned twice. Paul is standing before King Agrippa and he is saying to him, My hope is based on the resurrection of Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah. He has fulfilled all the prophets told what happened to him. He suffered. He was the suffering servant who bore our iniquities upon himself. And he rose on the third day. He was resurrected from the dead. And it's the resurrection which is the cornerstone of our faith. If Jesus then rise from the dead, then our faith is baseless and useless. But Jesus rose from the dead, and therefore our faith Is true and reasonable. You see, God made a promise all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. In Genesis 3, 15, we read that God said that the serpent would bite man's heel, but man would step on his head, would crush his head. This was pointing forward to the fact that even though Satan would orchestrate the crucifixion of the Son of God, Jesus, that Jesus, by his death, would pay for our sin and purchase us for himself. He would rise from the dead to give us the gift of eternal life and thereby crush Satan's head, defeating the devil. And it says in Colossians 2, that he made a spectacle of the devil and demons, marching them through the arch of triumph as he has triumphed over them, and they are defeated foes. Praise God that that promise, all the way back to Genesis 3.15, has been fulfilled. And that's just one of the many promises given throughout the prophets and the Old Testament, speaking of the coming Messiah, fulfilled in the person of of Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Anointed One. Paul's faith is in Jesus. And he's pointing to King Agrippa and all those listening to him, Governor Festus, Bernice, and all the military and the prominent people of the city. He is saying to them there is salvation through this Jesus who rose from the dead. That's the reason for my hope. I know my Redeemer lives. Praise God. Do you have that hope in your heart? Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Praise the Lord. He is our hope. Resurrection is so encouraging. When I spoke at the courtyard in a memorial service for several who had passed away due to COVID-19 complications. I told them the story of a little girl who was driving in the car with her father, her father at the wheel, and she suddenly began to panic and, and freak out because there was a bee in the car. And ordinarily, uh, a person would be maybe nervous or affrighted uh, that there was a bee, but she was beyond that because she was allergic to bees. And one sting would put her in a coma and threaten her life. So she was screaming bloody murder for her own life. The father pulled over calmly, and he was able to catch and grab the bee. And the bee stung him. And the girl was still screaming at the top of her lungs, Daddy, don't let the bee sting me! And he held out his hand. The bee was dead, and the stinger was in his hand. He said, Honey, you don't have to be afraid. I've taken the sting for you. And that's what 1 Corinthians 15 says, that Jesus has taken the sting of death for you and for me. He died and he rose from the dead so that even though physically we may die unless he comes back for us before then, we shall all be resurrected. We shall all live eternally in heaven. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. We'll sing and shout the victory which is in Christ. He took the stinger for us. Our hope is in the promised Messiah. Secondly, our hope is in the fact that we are new creations in Christ. We are new creations in Christ. And to this point, Paul goes into his life BC, that is, before Christ, And he says in Acts 26, verses 9 and following, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests. I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from synagogue, one synagogue to another, to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. Paul is telling what he used to be like. He used to be so zealous, he was fanatical. He was so zealous that he was like a snorting, raging bull on a stomping mission to stomp out any followers of the way. You see, people who followed Jesus, who was known as the way, the truth, and the life, were followers of the way, and he so hated them, he so saw them as a threat to the Jewish faith, he wanted to annihilate them. He wanted to do everything he could. So he went and he hunted them down. That's exactly what the next verse says, verse 11 I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities, not just Jerusalem. I was on my way to Damascus to get them. Now, the beauty of this is that verse in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, The old has gone, the new is here. Because Paul met Christ on the road to Damascus, he's not who he used to be. He's a new creation. The old is past and the new has come. Praise God that he had hope and I have hope and you have hope because we're not what we used to be. And we're not what we're going to be, but by the grace of God, we are who we are. Praise the Lord. His grace has saved us. In his love, he has forgiven us and he's transforming us from the inside out. And the word here in 2 Corinthians 5:17 is the word from which we get the word metamorphosis. Metamorphosis is the process from which a caterpillar metamorphosizes into a butterfly. Is a new creation from crawling on the ground to flying with beautiful wings. We used to crawl on the ground in our sin and in our rebellion and our revolt against God and in our disobedience. But praise God that through faith in Jesus Christ, we are butterflies. God made something beautiful out of our lives. Praise the Lord that we have hope because we are a new creation in Christ. We are his masterpiece and process in Christ that we are to walk in good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. Praise God, he isn't finished with us yet. He's still working, transforming us from the inside out. We're going from glory to glory until we see Jesus face to face and then we shall be like him. Praise God for this transformative process Because we're new creatures in Christ. That's a reason to have hope, isn't it? I have hope because the Lord's working in my life. I have hope because the Lord is changing me from the inside out. I have hope because the things that I was ashamed of and the things I have done in the past are way back in the rearview mirror. And I'm seeing more of Christ in me than I used to. Praise God for that. The third reason for hope is I serve a risen Savior. It goes on to say in Acts 26, as Paul's giving his defense before King Agrippa, he says in verse 12, on one of those journeys I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. About noon, King Agrippa... As I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions, and we all fell to the ground. And I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. The Lord replied, Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So when Paul, Saul, previously known as Saul, that was his Jewish name, encountered this vision, it was so bright, it not only blinded him, but he was face down on the ground, as were his companions. And when he heard this voice uh, say to him, um, why are you persecuting me? He's thinking, wait a second, I'm not persecuting one person, I'm persecuting the followers of the way. Who are you? When he heard the words, I am Jesus, that had to blow him away. Why? Because number one, Jesus is alive. Number two, the people of Jesus are the body of Christ, of which Jesus is the head of the body. So when he's persecuting the body of Christ, he's persecuting Jesus himself. These must have been phenomenal, life-altering revelations to Saul. And Jesus asked him, why are you kicking against the goads? A goad was a long stick, that was used to prod cattle. And when a stubborn uh, uh, group of cattle didn't want to go into the stall, even you'd have to prick them extra hard because they would ignore it. They would just keep on going the way they wanted to go. So in other words, Jesus was saying, Saul, why are you fighting conviction? You saw when you... Uh, We're holding the cloaks of the people who stoned Stephen. How his face radiated like the sun. You saw his innocence. You You heard him say, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And yet you overrode this convicting evidence and determined in your heart to wipe out the followers of the way. Why have you been so hard-headed? Why have you been so stubborn? Why have you been so stiff-necked? Don't you know your arms are too short to box with God? Surrender now and know that I have a purpose for your life. I have a plan for you. I'm calling you into my service. I want you to send a message out. I want to use you and I'm sending you special so that people's eyes might be open, that they may turn from darkness to light, that they may turn from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of their sins, that they may receive a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me and become part of the people of God. I've got a mission for you. Praise God, we serve a risen Savior. And that hymn is so apropos at this point. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living, whatever men may say. I see His hand of mercy. I hear His voice of cheer. And just the time I need Him, He's always near. Rejoice, rejoice, O Christian. Lift up your voice and sing eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ the King, the hope of all who seek Him, the help of all who find. None other is so loving, so good, and kind. He He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. Why do you and I have hope? Because we serve a risen Savior. And the final reason why we have hope is because we have a true and faith a true and reasonable faith. We read in Acts 26, uh, verses 22 to 29, that when he made his presentation, he was saying, I stand here in front of you to testify to small and great alike that I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said. I am preaching the word of God without compromise, and I'm not anything to the word of God. It's the word of God and nothing but the word of God. And so help me, God. So he is a te- he's faithfully testifying of the truth that the Messiah would suffer and that he would rise from the dead And he brings this message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. So this is powerful. So Festus, the governor, interrupts Paul. And he says, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you insane. I mean, he was basically undermining Paul's phenomenal defense before King Agrippa. He's trying to distract King Agrippa from trusting in Jesus as Messiah. And he says, your faith is ridiculous. This is nonsense. Paul says, I'm not insane. And notice the gentleness and respect, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is true and reasonable. We have a true and reasonable faith. Our Jesus, rose from the dead, and over 500 witnesses saw him alive for over, for 40 days. Between the time he rose from the dead to the time he ascended to heaven, they saw him alive. We have a true faith. There's an empty tomb to prove it. We have a true faith, and our faith is a reasonable faith that there's a holy God, and we have sinned against him, and because of our sin, the wages of sin is eternal death, not just physical death, eternal death. But Jesus died on the cross, and he took the penalty of eternal death upon himself for you and for me, and he rose on the third day to give us eternal life. That's the gospel, and that's a reasonable faith, that God so loved us, he gave us the only Son, that through faith in him, we would not perish, with the second death, the eternal death, but have everlasting life with him in heaven forever. Praise God for a true and reasonable faith. So Paul turns to King Agrippa, even though Festus interrupted and tried to do the devil's work of distracting him, and he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Do you believe the word of God? Do you believe what was promised, a Messiah to come? And he says, I know you do, Paul, says to King Agrippa. I know you have faith. I know right now God is convicting you and working in your heart. I know it, I know it, I know it. And King Agrippa says to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Now that's one interpretation the word for little can also be interpreted, I am a little ways off from becoming a Christian. That's what this verse really says. I'm almost there. Now, on the one hand, this is incredibly encouraging that King Agrippa heard the gospel and he almost believed. On the other hand, this is tragic Because he came so close, yet was so far. I almost believed in Jesus for salvation. I almost believed in Jesus for eternal life. I almost believed in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Let that never be said of you. May you trust in Jesus for your salvation. May you receive his forgiveness. May you believe in him who rose from the dead. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.